0: welcome to episode 70 of the digital fabrication experiment on hosting duty today we have chris lee and myself winston moy we're a couple of cnc enthusiasts and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop things we're making and what we're learning along the way today's episode is a special one as we have a guest with a super cool job greg paulson
1: greg welcome to the podcast uh this is exciting i'm I'm happy to join you all today yeah Chris, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. Uh, I'm also excited to hear uh, about Greg's story and everything that's like, going on with Zometry because um, I think I discovered Zometry a year ago, and you guys have grown quite a bit. And when I look at your page now, like the amount of different skill or trade skills that you guys implement is crazy. It's like basically everything that's out there. So I'm really excited to dive in and talk about where you guys began and how you guys got there and stuff. So um,
1: yeah.
0: So, uh, Greg, why don't you give us the quick elevator pitch for anyone who hasn't heard of Xometry before? Uh, who are you guys, and what do you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, just uh, you know, rewinding, I, I am the uh, director of application engineering is my title at Zometry, and uh, it means anything you want it to mean uh, here because I've I've worn many hats over uh, nearly seven and a half years uh, working working at the company. And Zometry is an on-demand manufacturing marketplace. Uh, but what that really means is it is a very easy way to get custom manufactured parts. Uh, we offer over a dozen different manufacturing technologies that have a single interface that you go to uh, that also provides instant online pricing. So whether it's a CNC machine project, sheet metal, uh, molded, um, we have over our eight quoting types of additive manufacturing, so industrial additive uh, manufacturing processes, urethane uh, casting, and more. Uh, it's one stop to go to. and so it's almost like an Amazon feel when you're getting and procuring parts. Uh, the other side is that we are a marketplace which means you're on both sides of the uh, of the coin. And so we elevate manufacturers. And I have an awesome privilege because I'm able to not just work with you know amazing engineers, designers and in our, in our customer base, but I'm also able to work with, uh, talented manufacturers, and we're connected with over five thousand global manufacturers. About three thousand are uh, are in the U.S. and growing, and those are mostly uh, machine shops, uh, sheet metal fabricators—you name it—and they're getting work on demand. So for them, it's almost like a like an Uber uh, approach for manufacturing. So it's fun to kind of be at the place that floats both boats, you know, helping people get parts easier and helping uh, shops get work on demand. So and that's that's kind of the summary of Zometry.
0: That's uh that's a lot of stuff going on. Um, so you have a fairly interesting job there. Uh, can you can you kind of describe um, the, the kinds of challenges you're trying to tackle for the company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the application engineering team uh, is is a team, uh, we typically, we all sometimes go post-sale, but a lot of what we live in is the world of what I call like pre-sale world, which is I have a design. Can you make it for me? You know, let's take a look at it and, and, and review it. And sometimes that is a help me choose world where it's like, I want to make this, but here are my constraints. So I need it in three business days or I need it, you know, I need it to do X. And uh, we have expertise in multi multiple disciplines. So we have specialists in each one of our, you know, whether it's machining or, or whatnot. Uh, but a lot of us have just, we've just read, you know, I don't know, like thirty thousand drawings. Like we've just, you know, we just have lived in, uh, lived and breathed, been breathing in this this world for such a long time that we're able to kind of quickly give a sniff check on uh, different uh, aspects of your project and say you're probably going to want to go this pro- approach and route down. So we do live a lot in that help me choose world. Um, we also live in the world where uh, you know if someone knows exactly what we want. It's making sure that uh, you're you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. So uh, reading through the drawings, reading through the specifications, understanding the standards that you, need, that you need to hit, the quality inspection requirements at the tail end, and making sure that what we're setting up is going to set up for success uh, um, on delivery. And uh, so there's... There's really a few aspects, but it's all about, you know, making sure that our customers are successful and that honestly, when the machinist uh, reads it, I I always call like the scope of work your love letter to the machinist and that they're, you know, what they're reading is they're they're not have to be, they don't need to be a detective essentially to figure out what they want to do here. And uh, yeah, so we're generalists in manufacturing, uh, but what we have is a lot of tribal knowledge um, because we've... You know, burnt our hands on the stoves a, a few thousand times, so we're here to help. Uh, you know, our customers so they don't have to that, uh, learn that way. And uh, it's a very exciting, very diverse job. That,
2: that's pretty amazing. I, I'm actually curious. Like, can you? I don't know. I, you have such an extensive experience, but I don't know how you would explain like how you got here and the things that you were doing before and how you got to zoometry and stuff. Like, kind of your background, so to speak. I, I don't know if you can kind of give a.
1: Yeah. Well. It became a remarkably good fit because I had such a general experience in manufacturing. And um, going way back, actually in high school, I was introduced to drafting my junior year of high school. And um, I was a, by the way, I was a graduate of 2002, just kind of framing that out there. And um, you were able to do a couple classes your senior year if you did the drafting was a prerequisite. And so I took engineering architecture and was able to uh, learn CAD then. So um, at the same time, I also was like, you know, association, and this is back in high school, Technology Student Association, and I did competitions with CAD. So there's like drafting competitions, and we went on for like state and national levels with that. And uh, and I was just really, really fond of 3D modeling. So what did I do when I went to college? None of that. I actually <laughs> didn't touch CAD for five years, and uh, um, but I've always been very inclined in making stuff and and very interested in that uh, um, in that field. Um, and again, at this time, didn't know what three D printing was. You know, didn't really have a background there until I uh, entered uh, grad school at James Madison University, and I ran into this lab called the Product Realization Lab. And they had these big machines. I had no idea what they were, but I saw someone struggling with making a 3d model. And I went and talked to him and I was like, you know what? I haven't touched this in a while, but I know exactly what to do to get to where you want to go. Can I just like sit down for like two hours and give it a try? And that was in 2007. And uh, they adopted me. I actually switched my assistantships from uh, where I was, which is like helping like, you know, print copies for a computer science professor to uh, to this product realization lab, and I got an intro to injection molding, selective laser centering, um, ran, uh, which is an advanced form of uh, additive manufacturing, and a couple other additive manufacturing platforms. Uh, for those who may be familiar, I ran like a Z-Corp 450, which is like a, a kind of a sandstone ceramic uh, 3D printer, as well as Dimension, which was like the old, old school, um, still industrial FDM machines. Uh, even at that time, like really MakerBot, the cupcake and things were, on the fringe, um, there was the uh, rep which was still people's grad school projects. He's paid five thousand dollars for a rep wrap machine, and uh, and and it would help you extrude peanut butter essentially at that time. <laughs> but that's that was my my intro um, when I when I left college. Uh, I was moving up to uh, Northern Virginia area, I'm living with some family up in Falls Church, Virginia, and essentially did a Google Map overview and wrote selective laser sintering into uh, the search box and one place showed up in Ashburn and I applied for any job I could get there and got my intro into um, working into a, into a product development world essentially because I knew how to run this machine. And also they liked my, they liked how I wrote. So I had to write proposals and, um, and being a technician for the first portion of my career and was just really grateful for the exposure I had there. Like we were in product development phase. We were uh cradle to grave on developing, on making products and we were responsible for putting it together. So you weren't just like handing it off to somebody like you were, you ate your own dog food. So things we designed, we would actually make uh, whether it's 3d printing um, or we had a machine shop in house. Uh, we also had uh, electromechanical assembly and an EMS line for like pick and place machines and just a whole diversity of work, uh, defense product development, um, you know, consumer product development, and we would try stuff. So that was my first stomping ground, uh, did about four and a half y- years there, uh, but had this ache for 3D printing uh, because there's no one else in the area that did this. Like I said, I zoomed out and found one place. I was lucky and lucky, re- lucky, really fortunate to find that. And I uh, ended up finding some professionals at this new company in Maryland and decided, you know what? I'm just going to apply there. I just never heard of this company before, and that was Zometry. And I, I joined Zometry in April 2014. Zometry was actually founded in December 2013, and so like they were like only a few months old. And I've been there ever since, and just seen it grow from uh, about you know less than 10 of us all sitting at a conference table figuring out like how are we going to make this work to uh, now over 500 people global, globally strong, and we went public in June. It's uh, pretty exciting. That is super exciting.
0: Um, did you feel any risk jumping in like so early? Because was that a, a new business model uh, that zometry had when they first came out?
1: Yeah, marketplace manufacturing, this manufacturing and service just did not exist. Um, ins- you know, Using AI and machine learning to instant price parts did not exist. Like they knew what they wanted to do, um the uh, co-founders, uh, Randy and Lawrence were very smart in understanding also where what they didn't know. And they were hiring uh some really fantastic leads. I worked with um some great colleagues, uh Jason McClure, Dave Tedder, uh who are technical leads in um in additive and uh, subtractive manufacturing. So like uh, Jason uh, for example, Jason McClure was a aerospace machinist, like kind of almost born in it, it was his dad's shop and uh, we ended up uh, essentially absorbing a lot of uh, um, Jason and his team when he bo- joined on board and even some of their machines um, that we used, you know, in our early days to, to help train uh, our AI. And yeah, I think that's just, again, my experience continued to be, you know, doing the work that I did, but also being, you know, 10 feet away from the shop. And I think that's just super valuable, especially when you're growing and, and you know, trying to you know, represent the manufacturing industry.
2: Yeah. I think one of the things I'm, I'm super curious. Th- thank you for that great explanation of kind of where it came from, but, um, but going back to like how Zomo true, I've always been curious, like what is the entire like workflow process from like for, for your end? So a customer uploads a part, the, you give them a quote using your proprietary software. Your uh, I'm assuming it, like you said, it was like AI or machine learning. They give them the quote and the customer accepts Then what happens from there? I've always been curious, like how much of this process is automated? Like, is it, or does a person still take over after that part and needs to like up, you know, load the stock or that
1: thing or, you know, kind of like that. So it is very much for you as a consumer, it's like a, you'll receive your parts on Wednesday type thing. You click go and you know, we're, we're responsible for quality and uh, and then you get your parts. Uh, So it's, it's magical, right? You're not doing (laughs) supply chain management on your side. Uh, but you're right. When you upload your three D file, um, and we have our, our websites, uh, you could go and uh, uh, click, drag, and upload. You know, most native files are accepted there, as well as like STEP, which I call like the PDF of uh, CAD files. It gets interpreted. You get pricing, and the pricing and lead times will update as you configure it. Uh, you know, add different certifications, finish, finishes, you know, threads, tapped holes, tight tolerances, uh, all that stuff. And that's your actionable buy. That's all happening on the Zometry side. That's not a bid going out to different suppliers and, and coming back. Um that's actually something that we're deriving and we're confident on the pricing because we we pay our suppliers like we we are able to predict the price of that part based on experience and that that's part of the machine learning the AI AI portion of it um, we also use AI on the order side so it doesn't have a home yet unless it's repeat work if it's repeat work it will go to the the last person that produced that work uh, just for consistency sake but if when you press order it doesn't necessarily have a home yet uh, but we know who will be a good fit. Uh, we actually have the list of applicants that are good for that, and we are able to pair the the best ones for that. So those are, those are usually ones that can have done prior work similar uh, to that. So say it's a brass turn part, or you know a fifth axis titanium part, or um, you know just you know sixty sixty one, uh, you know easy peasy three axis uh, mill job. And it'll try to pair that with the groups that do that best and typically most economical because that's a good def- defining factor for what I call sweet spot manufacturing. You know, pricing-wise, if we did average pricing everything, it would mean the entire industry, 50% of it, would be more competitive than us. So the way our AI is trained is actually to take advantage of those shops that are just really good at kicking out those parts uh, of that specific class or that, that type and so it, they're usually better priced at it and they have better quality and better lead time. So you kind of you, you get it all with uh, because we're actually able to pair that and predict it and get those shops to take that on demand. They, they're able to take a, review the job and if they're at capacity or something came up, they could pass, no worries. We have redundancy on our supply chain. Uh, but if they look at it and they're like, that's a great fit, they press a, press a button, get an instant PO. And uh, they're on the hook for making it on quality and to spec. That, I mean, that is an amazing that you guys are able to
2: put all this together and get everyone on board like that. That That is nothing short of amazing. Like, I'm, I'm super impressed. And this is almost like the future calling down on us a little bit, like the way you guys are doing things.
1: Yeah. And I think we've, we've even seen, like, we're, you know, in some shops, we are a vast majority of the revenue. Some shops you know we're a lower percentage of the revenue and we usually find where we fit best you know uh, they're able to take work on um, on their own terms they can always decline work or pass on it uh, but uh, we try we hopefully are giving you stuff that's relevant for for what you need and I think you find that really good balance where um, these businesses they're independent shops you know they're professionals in the industry they're you know, speeding they're feeding their spouse and kids with the earnings that they' they're getting from this. And, you know, take their work, you know, very seriously. And so, like, you're able to give more time on their spindles. You know, you're you're able to take advantage of capacity that would have been down. So you have a few big jobs, but you're going to have a two and a half week gap. And it's really hard to find time, you know, something to fill it up. Um, you know, we have that uh, that option to just take that work on demand. So it's been a really interesting fit. And I think you see more and more shops kind of opening up, understanding that, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go and find my own sales and do some work, but I'll actually probably be part of a marketplace too. You know, I'll I will probably get work uh, on demand as well by joining one of these marketplaces like Zometry.
2: Yeah, I mean, if I owned a shop, this is a no-brainer for me because, like you said, even if you tried to source your own work, there's these these random gaps that you may not be able to fill, and this would be like a perfect way to just get on and just click and okay, we're gonna accept this job. This will carry us in for the week. And then we'll back on to our contract work you know the following week or something that is pretty amazing man and I, I guess the other thing I was always wondering about is you guys have so many different manufacturing processes do they all operate like independently as a, a separate department like what happens if a customer has like an assembly and they want to like they want you to make the whole assembly do you guys have a way to meet up in the middle and make sure these things fit and stuff or how does that work
1: so it's it's interesting uh, I'll say BMW is probably it's one of the few public things that we can talk about that we've done assembly work for and specifically um, their their plant in one of the Carolinas uh, that works on works on a vehicle series their tooling engineers found geometry and the tooling engineers, if I had a, like, if I had an engineering job that wasn't this, it would probably be a tooling engineer because it just seems like so much fun. You just see a challenge and you design around it and get a bunch of parts together to make, you know, a jig or something that will just make it easier for the assembly uh, to to happen. And they do just that and they incorporate a lot of different technologies. So they may be they may be adding the BMW decal to the rear bumper but these you know these parts are sleek and sexy and they're very very organic in the curvature so how do you index so that 100% of the time the BMW logo is you know aligned just right well you have to find these key points and create these like you know you know points in digital space that you need to fix to and then you need to be, build a jig that's going to hold the de- decal in the right place and a lot of times what they'll use is a large form of FDM 3D printing. Like we could print up to three feet to make kind of the contour conformal portion, because with 3D printing, you could also make a um, a sparse infill to make it a little bit lighter weight for people when they're carrying it and, and uh, using the, the tool. But the things that need to be like really fixed in space, they may CNC out a Delrin or, you know, something that's, you know, mechanically accurate, uh, stiff and non-marring. Uh, and so, You'll see, you know, a lot of times, three D printing, CNC machines, you know, off the shelf items like master handles, those type of things. Um, sometimes, urethane thing cast for soft touch or like kind of bumper components as well, and it all gets integrated into like one workpiece uh, at the end. Um, we do, from our quoting side, we do add like an assembly line item to that, and but everything else is all those parts on a single quote. So when you press buy, uh, you have one quote with all these different technologies our system does dispatch to the respective entities. So for example, uh, if you have urethane casting and CNC on order, very likely those are not made out the same supplier. Uh, so we, we basically split that supply chain and manage it all on our end. Um, so that may go to one supplier. Uh, you know, these, these uh, machine parts may go to another supplier. Sometimes say, if you have like different alloys or materials, those may be split up into a different supplier. Uh, so we're, we're able to manage all that but I'm gonna roll back to fit because there's something about uh, designers that I've seen is they design things thinking that it's gonna fit, but ultimately when you do mixed processes, each process has its own tolerances. So if you design part to be 3D printed and you use CNC tolerances on it, you may end up for a bad, uh, for a bad time. So usually when when work gets back to us, we still have the normal stuff, drill presses, reamers, things that just make your life a little bit easier to you know, make the stuff fit. They're pretty good. But I, I will say uh, one note about mixing processes is especially when you go from like additive or a cast um, versus CNC is in, in machining, as you know, I can take a tolerance, like say I have a plus zero tolerance or something like that. I can go and actually control my tool path and go slow there, you know, Right. Run, run a pass, check, verify, run a pass, check, verify, run a pass, check, verify, and have some level of assurance that when I do it again, it's going to be repeated. Uh, but when you talk about these other processes, they're net shape, which means a plus or minus, typically. So you can't just say like, hey, that specific edge there, it needs to be, you know, uh, it it's a plus zero tolerance. You, you have to go back to design guides. Like we have a bunch of free design guides on Zometry's site for all our different processes. You may do a move phase command in your CAD to do an offset there because you, you'd rather be on the minus side than the plus side if you're in that case, for example. Uh, and and you may have to do some some manipulation or even do an iteration, right? Uh, or in my case, a lot of times, my experience is like have some sandpaper on hand, you know, have an exacto knife <laughs> uh, just in case. Uh, but those... But that's just something you need to realize: is when you do go across processes, uh, there are tolerance uh, you know, deltas, and and you need to really understand that because um, you will get a different result. And sometimes it's really tough. if you know, one technology, and you think additives a, a miracle pill, uh, it's very good, but you know, it it does its darndest to make a shape, but it is a net shape uh, regardless of the process.
2: All right. So if a customer is maybe not as experienced with these like multi uh, spanning multiple different manufacturing processes, will you guys step in and be like, "Hey, this may not work. Uh, you need to do this," or is that something that gets called out um, by the software or something, or you have
1: someone looking at it? So we do have some basic DFM's, a design for manufacturing feedback. A lot of that, the number one thing is usually thin walls. You know, it's the number one thing for CNC is is uh, sharp internal corners, and yeah. you know, we you got to round them out. Uh, for additive, it's usually thin thin features, thin walls. Um, but in in general, when when our engineers are reviewing those items, uh, we do have a manual quoting team, and we do have a like the application engineers. We do this a lot as well. You'll you'll take a look at the drawings and just kind of look at some sanity checks. Like so, for example, if I see you know 80 true position tolerances on a <laughs> on an additive part, you know I I'll probably raise a flag and be like, listen, if you really need this, we have to machine it. There's no ifs if, ands or buts here. Uh, and a lot of times you get a deviation or or you you hear what's actually critical on those pieces. Um, I used to make my own prints for additive parts, and I would use the reference dimension, like I just put in parentheses, you know, all the dimensions, essentially. Uh, it's because I, I would understand the tolerance of the process, but I also didn't want my receiving inspection team to just block the part because, you know, something's <laughs> off. And I, I would have my toolbox beside me with you know sandpaper, reamers, and all those tools uh, because I would I would essentially convert that part to the spec part, and then I would bring it into receive I would bring it into our um, inventory after after it basically went through my hand tools. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was my, that was my previous life. That was when I was in product development. Uh, so I, I did a lot of our additive outsourcing, and uh, yeah, that was I was basically the secret person in between receiving an inspection and they would basically just cart over the, all the parts of me <laughs> and I'd just look at the what the engineer wanted. I'd measure the parts and just you know polish them down the size and and then bring them back to re- inspection so they could pass through. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: That's awesome.
0: <laughs> so you said you've got a manual coding team, but you also mentioned there was AI and machine learning going on what's the the percentage of the parts do all the parts that go through your system go through the 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 algorithm and are there times where you just have to have a manual review and are there times where like someone's like tricked the your your software into thinking oh this is a really simple part and it comes back to bite you in the butt
1: Oh, man. All right. So <laughs> if you choose, under under our dropdown selection, we have a lot of materials available. Don't get me wrong. And we have a lot of finishes at instant quote. Uh, but for example, if there's a material that you don't see, we still have 3,000 manufacturers that could probably make it. So it's not a capability lacking on our side, but we, we may have not AI trained it yet. So we have a field called custom. That allows you to write it in, and that just becomes manual review because we need to read it and understand what you're looking for, and you know, see if it's sourceable, and uh, update the quote from there. And the same goes for finishes. So, like sometimes there's a custom finish uh, requirement, or like multiple stage finishing, where you know there's there may be like a paint pr- like a chem film, then paint and prime, and then a secondary op- application after that. And we we do that, so that'll be you know manual reviewed work. Um, custom inspection requirements would be mainly reviewed, and and honestly, sometimes there's just production needs or things that are not well captured by an algorithm. Like not, uh, and that just has to do with there may be efficiencies that you're able to take advantage of when you're looking at production that's not necessarily assumed when you're you know you're almost trained like a job shop, if that makes sense. Like I I may. You know, for example, if I'm I'm doing a larger production run, maybe I uh, actually do you know, up one in one machine, up two in another machine, and and work on like optimizing, optimizing for better throughput or 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 some other standard, and we we could take that into consideration as well, like when we're, when we're working through those. Um, the other stuff that we mainly review, uh, we, we do work a lot in aerospace, uh, and there's a the difference between like a aerospace prototype and anything that says flight on it or space flight. And those are 100% re- mainly reviewed. Uh, even if the pricing sticks with what we have, we just want to make sure uh, because a lot of times engineers are like, well, you could see the technical details, but when you read between the fine prints, there may be specs or certifications or documentation that may not be fully captured within the quote, and we want to make sure that's captured. But this is all still transacting through our interface. So, like the quotes that the customers receive are coming through the zometry interface. So, that when they submit their quotes, they're using the zometry interface uh, for that. So, like that's that's where the manual aspect uh, comes into play. Um, I'll also say molding is kind of the same way uh, because we have a, a good conversation up front with our customers on what their needs are uh, because we can help tailor. The tool from the materials, how the slides are made, uh, gating features—you uh, you name it. A lot of times, like a customer has a need, like this is a bridge tool. I just need something fast, or this is a production tool, and that may change all those features as well as possibly the origin. You know, will this be internationally produced or will this be domestic produced? And we we do take that on manually as well. I know you asked like two more questions and I cannot remember them, but if you remember them, I will be happy. To. Oh, it, it
0: was, it was kind of along the lines of yeah. just like, has, has the algorithm ever let you down? Like, did someone like put an apart? Uh, Cause I know Chris has a story where they thought the part would be super easy to make, but there was like a subtle oh. like curvature to it that they didn't yeah. see in the drawing. And it uh, made their life hell.
1: <laughs> oh, So I will say things I want to things that if, if anybody's listening and using Zometry that, you know, Make sure that you reach out to your sales rep or our application team for a quick review. If there's a, if you have a part that has any type of gear or spline on it, um, so anything that is, or or a, a non-standard screw like something you know, some like an Acme thread or something of that matter, um, make sure that we're, you know, we're able to take a look at that because sometimes it's it's assuming like it's going to be milling the features, but honestly, if you have like those type like gears or splines, they are highly precise items. And there's a very big difference between you know milling the shape and making something that can you know work correctly in the application. So we we definitely want to take a look at that. And yeah, it'll usually increase the price, but it'll also be the correct part uh, when you know when we make uh, when we make those parts. That's usually like the the big thing that that gets to, that I see a lot is is usually those those kind of features. The other one is um, uh, you know I was talking about sharp internal corners when you actually need those sharp internal corners, uh, and that means that we're either going to do a RAM EDM or a broach or a wire EDM uh, to that, that's a completely different setup. And like, it's it's almost like, hey, you know, you, you just added about $750 to this this part for this feature, but if you absolutely need it, it's something that we can incorporate in, but our algorithm doesn't automatically assume because like 99.999% of the time, it's just someone forgot to put, forgot to put a radii there on that feature. Yeah, uh, we we do. um, And like I said, I think EDM features, broach features, those are, you know, they're getting more popular actually, which is, you know, our our EDM is becoming more natural with machined work. But from a design best practice, it still, it brings you into a completely different stage. It takes you out of that machine. And so if you don't have a good reason to do it, you know, put that radii on, and uh, it'll save you a ton of money, and it'll keep you keep you know all the ops on one platform.
2: So, is is this AI this software of yours? Is it it's continuously learning and adapting, right? It's it's constantly taking the information that you guys are getting, uh, the quotes that are good or not good, and then it's like discovering. So it's just constantly bettering itself, basically.
1: Absolutely. So it's we do train and re and retrain. Um, uh, you know, on occasions, we'll like we'll essentially. Launch the new, you know, new learned model uh, on on a different technologies, you know, and that's that's part of the beauty of machine learning. Uh, if we did have a sucker, right? So, geometry, uh, you you pay what you pay, and say we just ate it, you know, it say say it was heavily underbid. Um, part of our uh, machine learning team is computational geometry, and they kind of look at those outliers and figure out why. And and that's when they, that's actually helps train the next model uh, by adding, you know, maybe a, a geometric feature that they weren't detecting before or uh, an assumption that they were just not aware of. Like uh, something that, you know, based on the part size or like depth of tool or something like that, that just turned, you know, turned that hole into a gun drill, you know, that, something like that. And, um, and it helps improve those features. Like what's, I, I think, Winston, we were talking about the difference between this small piece that you had and I was wondering if you, you you made like a little bit of a of a deeper cut in the in the center and yes logically with a center drill or like like if I'm tur- turning down that center like I just have a drill bit it's not too much more work to make that but the pricing changed and I I didn't get a I didn't I wasn't able to get fully into the investigation but part of me wondered as like I wonder if there was a feature or something that changed the flag from a CNT like a mill turn part to a Swiss turn part like or or something where it brought a process that had a higher overhead rate against it um and and uh raised the price so like parts like the way they think about the price is like parts like this tend to cost this much on a competitive marketplace doesn't always make sense it doesn't always translate to cost plus because uh, even times even if you think about uh, how you look at work it's an emotional decision sometimes you you may know that you know honestly that tool only cost me 45 minutes or45 dollars to get that tool that does that undercut but damn it do I really want to get a tool for that you know you prop up the price and and that happens across, you know, the machining world too. And so like there's there's certain things that shouldn't drive cost that actually do more than they do than you would think. Uh and we've you know, we've captured that actually really early on when we were doing machine learning. I think we were we we're catching on to some of those. We're like, wait, why? And you go and ask and you figure it out and you talk to the machinist experts, and you're like, Oh yeah, it's it'd be really annoying to do this. It's it's possible, definitely, but uh um there's this extra cost that sometimes comes in.
2: You know the other thing that you just got me thinking about is like, uh, even at work, I have a lot of trouble with the files that the customer provides, and then when it gets translated into our CAD system or our or programming software, you guys must have a nightmarish time. Like when people upload their files, and your algorithm has to go in there and detect. You know, I, I'm thinking about surfaces that may not fully close. Like there's a gap, or it may may trick your system, or it may do something freaky about it, or something like that. So I'm assuming there's like. Thousands of iterations of that that happen, and you, you, your software just is constantly updating itself.
1: Yeah, we are. Um. So we we do have a we work with a third party conversion software that's able. That's why we're able to take so many CAD files. But there are certain things that can cause you know uh-ohs. uh oh's. So some some CAD instances when you use a thread wizard actually put a cylindrical surface body, um, which would it's, it essentially represents the the maximum size of the thread, um, but you what it looks like. So, say I have four holes on my part. Uh, when it, sometimes when it converts through, it will look like um, it's five parts essentially, because those open end cylinders may actually get hole filled and fill up your hole, and like 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 so like the the threaded hole like just doesn't exist or doesn't look like it exists. But the actual amount of count of bodies on that part would be five. And I think we're pretty good at suppressing that, but it's something I see every now and then where it just kind of you know doesn't pass a stiff test and you go back and you just suppress that surface and you're you're good for it. Um, I definitely do see that on industrial designed objects sometimes where there's uh, a kind of interesting surface bodies, especially surface bodies that are used as a cut feature uh, against a against parts. Uh, sometimes during conversion, they the surfaces come back. Yeah. And I don't know why, but they do. Uh, we do send to our manufacturers essentially a STEP file. So it doesn't have the parametric, parametric data involved with, those, involved with those parts. And that's because this many diverse manufacturers, we don't know what CAM uh, they're using to program their, uh, their machines, but STEP is universally accepted. I think as we're moving forward, I hope other things like uh, model-based definition and PMI gets incorporated in further you know uh further downstream and that's something i'm very hopeful for but right now there's still this barrier of, no matter how like you know MP and part modeling information like this stuff is supposed to help you get rid of drawings and you know in the future that's like kind of the dream that we all have is say you no know, to the drawings have all the information in the model itself like surface finish tolerances uh just helps you better helps you better but I think some of the things that are lagging behind is the sophistication of the CAM software that's actually interpreting that before you go machining. And we have to kind of go down to the step level uh, and need, need that accompanying drawing because of that. I was talking on two subjects here, but it's just something as as well. I'm I'm excited about the future, and I see like 3MF for 3D printing. I see you know part modeling information in my parts, uh, getting rid of drawings is just the next next step and the next exciting thing.
2: Yeah, I I can't wait to uh, pop that wine bottle when I don't have to see an IGIS file anymore. Because every time I do, it's like putting on my Indiana Jones hat and going for a ride when I open it up.
1: (laughs) So Zometry does not accept IGIS files. We did a test, and we we did a test, and we found that IGIS were the number one cause of a bad surface. Uh, So what would happen is you would, the model geometry would have like a pop balloon to it uh, and it would have a volume of zero. And you could like a solid part converted, a step converted, IPT uh, converted, XB converted, um, you know, all these uh, cat part files, PRT files, all of them converted had the exact same, you know, length, width, height, volume. And then the iGIS was there. It's like, not me. And we're like, okay, well, we're just not going to accept you anymore. <laughs> yeah, done yeah. and done. I, I yeah.
2: absolutely hate it when I get one of those. And it's just like, oh, man, here we go. But that's kind of funny that you mentioned that.
1: Um, I I found, just because I've spent my, I spent 14 years fixing files uh, as well, Um, if you do get a weird iGIS and you don't have a choice, you don't have anything else, for whatever reason, I when I use an Autodesk program, like an, I used to have Inventor... Um, on my computer it tended to repair the i just better than opening up in SolidWorks. uh and yeah. I've, like at one point i had the benefit of having all these things on my laptop because we have we have add-ins for all these uh but i did notice that if anything had a curvature like a missing radii or like it was a you know a screw shaft or something and the i just didn't convert that through i've w- often would open it up in an inventor and then uh and then essentially fix and repair it there, then export it out as a parasolid format. And that was usually by my, my go-to repair.
2: Hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Winston, what you're going to say. Oh, no,
0: that's all right. Uh, I, I just was uh, thinking like you have a very cool uh, high-level overview of the industry. And uh, one of the questions I like to ask when, when someone has that unique perspective is... Uh, What are the the interesting challenges that you see coming up for manufacturing
1: in the next couple of years? I think there's a few things happening. Right now, the barrier to enter to manufacture is as low as it's ever been. And that's good and challenging. Uh, And that has to do with access to CAD. And actually, I'll say 3D printing uh, people like early on right around that 2007 time period, people got 3D printers and were like, wow, what can I make next? And they're like, wait a second, I need files. Oh crap, I c- CAD's so expensive. And so you saw this kind of ramp, anti-ramp as printers were getting cheaper, CAD was getting more accessible and cheaper and, and so forth and so forth. And uh, now you have like things like Fusion 360 and you have like some really accessible uh, uh, programs that allow you to do magical things in 3D design but you don't necessarily have the background or knowledge of designing for manufacturing. So I'm going to say one of the biggest challenges is using, or is I think the responsibility of CAD in a lot of ways, um, giving access or giving access to design for manufacturability feedback or saying like, I'm going to build in this process and just like, you know, if I'm texting and I I thumb a word wrong, it kind of auto corrects or like you're writing a word document, you see a red, red underline. Like I want to see that on my CAD design side so that it helps the entire downstream on the manufacturing side. And I think that's just something, you know, fantastic overall. Uh, and the other thing about that and what's advancing manufacturing is, is something that I'm saluting again. I'll, uh, I'm learning Fusion 360. By the way, I've, I've run SolidWorks for most of my career, um, but the fact that they have their CAD and CAM kind of integrated in, I want to see much, much more of that as a standard because it helps translate those details that the designer intended to have uh, directly into the manufacturing platform. And there's a disconnect right now. You know that that information kind of gets dropped and put back into a put in a different piece of software. Um, what you're interpreting may get lost in translation because now you go from like this this idea that you generated with you know small nuances, possibly in a you know in strategic steps based on how it, how it would have been possibly made to just like make the shape. And I think the more we bridge that design to the end process, like the the mix of like software and machine, just gets you better better results. I've seen that becoming more fast-tracked in additive manufacturing uh, just because the, nat- the natural ability of it, a lot of it has to do with the software and the machine and how they work together because uh, you don't have the operator looking at each layer being like, let me just tweak this edge by a thou. Like that's not what's happening, right? Like you're, you, you set your parameters, you do your slicing, and then you, you hope the machine uh, creates the output that you're looking for. And so a lot of that talent has been put into the machine and the software and how they work together. I think on the CNC side, uh, sheet metal fabrication side, you know, even molding, scientific molding, for example, uh, that that blend of how my software and its intentions and how it's going to interact with my machine and and making that one to one is becoming more of a reality. It's not there, but it's 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 getting more exciting. Even things like feedback loops and side to things, like that's what I'm really excited about. That's a
0: pretty cool answer.
1: I mean, there's a lot that I didn't think about um, just in terms of how
0: people, well, like what you were saying with 3D printing, people like look at it one way. um, Like when you design for 3D printing, you just, you get what you get. If it's a little oversized, undersized, you adjust it there. But for people who are new to the machining world, who aren't attuned to the way like we make things and we try and dial in tolerances and it's just like, I came out a little undersized, like modify your tool comp um, and how you work towards that kind of perfection instead of just accepting you get what you get. Um, Designing for that uh, is something you kind of have to start them young. Like CAD should be integrated with CAM.
1: And I'm exploring generative design which a lot of people, when they think about generative design, uh, they think about these you know topology optimized, very organic uh, shapes, uh, typically for additive manufacturing. Uh, but those same principles can actually be used for design for manufacturing. Uh, you can give inputs like uh, minimum wall features. Um, you know what type of axis do I want? This three axis. Do you want? Am I? Can I add an axis of, to make it a fourth axis uh, piece? And you could add like kind of your structure, your limitations based on the manufacturing, not not just the physical stresses of it. And you could create the shape as you want, possibly create like the critical keep out zones for you know things that it needs to fix to, and then say make it for my you know two point five axis machine mill, and and see what the output is. And that's something that. I think it has a bad branding as generative design. I think it should be called something else. But like that's where I could see somebody kind of running almost like a, what you call it, what you consider a spell checker, you know, uh, when you're doing it while you're in the design phase. And I say all that because I know what the minimum access is. Right, a 3D model is right now for manufacturing what you need. You can go and injection mold a part with a 3D model. You could get it CNC machined. Uh, you you know it's. It's so accessible, but it also could get dangerous because you you have, you know, pricing and consideration. And if you buy into it and don't get what you want, even if it was done exactly how the, you know, operators thought you wanted it, like there's that disconnect usually has to do with mismanaged expectations. And I think some of that can be on software. A lot of it's just training and learning too, and design guides. But I think software could, should play a huge role there.
2: Yeah. You said something that was pretty interesting that I never thought about, which is like the CAM software needing to catch up and like... That quote-unquote auto crack feature, right? it being able to tell you immediately that hey, this is not going to work, or hey, if th- you know, having the data of tolerances and things already built into the CAM model itself, that's actually pretty fascinating. I can't believe I've never thought about that.
1: Yeah, I will say uh, I'm getting excited with some additive manufacturing technologies because uh, there's a few out there, uh, recent companies or companies with recent innovations that have started. A- put an inside to feedback loop in their machine. So not only are they you're doing your regular scales and offsets, but as the machine's running, it's seeing what it thought it did and seeing what actually happened. Like layer by layer. It's like, all right, that's a little larger than I than I thought. Let me correct it on the next swipe. And like and and I've been I've seen more and more machines doing that kind of inside to feedback. Uh, and that's you know super, super exciting. Like, could you imagine if you were plugging in the tolerances that you needed on your machine part and there was some, you know, blend of touch probe or something like that, that's just kind of doing it for you. It's just, it's just like, it's like, hey, uh, your your part's ready for the in-process inspection. off ones done. Uh, it's, this is this is what I measured. And you could go and do a spot check verification. Like, great, you know, rock and roll, let's do this. And, you know, you have some of these things working kind of interrelated. You have tool checkers, you do have the probes, but, um, but a lot of times you're, you know, you're the one. I'm responsible for the inspection step. Like I'm responsible for that. Uh, but what if the unit you know, you could put those tools to full work and say, "Hey, just click and run."
2: Yeah, I mean that is like the ultimate dream come true: is being able to have that machine take over and like. You know, oh, you want this plus or minus one? No, no problem. I was out a little bit. I'm gonna bring it in a couple tents, and now we're here. Here we go. It's done. Like, have at it. I, I, my jaw would drop the day that that happens, and hopefully that happens. You know, not too long in the future. Here,
1: that's when you see my machine shop open up too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So,
2: so like now that that we've kind of talked about what you see coming in the in the industry, what do you see? like happening with Zometry, like what's kind of next for them or what do you see in the next couple of years? Like where are you guys headed or are you just going to be improving what you guys have or do you guys have new things on the horizon or anything like that?
1: Well, we just went public. Uh, so we went public on June 30th. Uh, so XMTR on the NASDAQ listing, which is surreal to me uh, for sure. And uh, that does mean that we can, you know, we can do some exciting things. Uh, and there's there's not too much I can I could talk about on a public matter but I think one something you've seen historically with is uh, like yeah if you saw us a couple of years ago we didn't have as many materials as we're offering or especially as many processes as we're offering now and you just keep on seeing you know the list and and the capabilities uh, grow and grow I, I think you see a lot of, of what we're seeing too is we've we've released some really fantastic things that help our suppliers out uh, so um, our supplier marketplace, they're not just getting work on demand. There's also, we have zoometry um, supplies, which is, uh, by the way, this is actually great for uh, uh, you all and your listeners as well. Like if you're trying to get, you know, um, tool, uh, tools and mill cutting tools, uh, aluminum, steel, Delrin, you know, just raw materials for your work. Uh, zometry.com forward slash supplies is actually an e-commerce store that anybody can use Uh, but if you're a supplier like a zometry supplier you have added benefits where it kind of gets into the fold so like not only are you looking at the work but you can kind of see how much it'll cost from the raw material side instantaneously Um, we have payment services so uh, shops that typically can't you know, our two small to really take a credit card or purchase orders. You know, can actually go and take work with that using some Zometry's, uh services, kind of integrated in. Um, and we have Quick Pay, so even if you take on a lot of work, and you want to get paid a little bit faster than a net thirty, um, you can ex- expedite that. And uh, and you know, it's you see that a lot in the e-commerce world. Like you know, if you have a payment system, you're like, yeah, let me get that sooner. And you, uh, for a few percentage points, you can get that sooner. Uh, so we've expanded a lot on what our suppliers have done. Uh, we also want to look at what they can what else can they do? like what type of uh, talent sets are we not a store from for and grow that out. I'm excited about us moving not just from kind of just conquering what I would call like this um, uh, the additive and job shop world where it's you know, uh, like custom manufacturing on demand. Um, we do production. But it does, it's not as highlighted as it it should be for what our capabilities really are. And I think us building better production tools as well and and uh, technologies, die casting, investment casting, um, stamping, things that help you scale from like here to like way up here as the market grows is just going to be part of the zometry platform. Like I think we're just going to be, you know, hugging manufacturing and trying to raise it as much as we possibly can. Super cool. That's awesome. You guys have a lot going it's on. It's a lot. <laughs> it's it's hard. To, it's hard to keep up with for sure, uh, but it's it's really exciting, uh, and I think it's, I, I, I work, you know, working for Zomtree, and I'm I'm one of the the old folks now in in the company, not by age, but just like people are like, wow, I've been here for a while. I've been here for three years. I'm like I've been here for over seven and a half years. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically like the plaster in the walls now. Uh, but just 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 seeing us grow and seeing like the passion and creativity from our team, uh, and there's just it's just nonstop stuff to do. And the projects we do, we see all the time are just so, so exciting. I wish I could talk about them, but that's, you know, part of the business, right? Is it's all work is confidential. Um, but, you know, undersea, you know, on land and cons- like in pockets or in space, like it's, we, we have uh, projects that are just everywhere and it's, it's a huge amount of diversity and do that work you you need a diverse supplier base for sure yeah
2: I, I am pretty jealous at the sheer amount of things that you get to see and learn like the amount of basically like all the different types of parts that you get to see that most people don't even get to see a fraction of that you get to see like all of it right and it, and that's like kind of amazing in my mind like i would love to be in a situation where i got to see all these different types of processes and how other designers design things you get to see internally how their parts are made how they fit and things like that like it's just so uh it's just pretty cool, at least for me. I, I find that incredibly awesome. It's
1: it's a good place to geek out. And yeah, I, I think when I joined on, like, did I know where we were going? Like it, I I didn't and but it was also, you know, when when I joined uh this many years back, it was it was something exciting then like i i for me i personally was about to, like i was looking to you know start my own additive shop and and add all these services and i was like or oh, i could join this place that already has a shop and like it looks is looking to grow the business and just to see where we are and and what we've done is, is super exciting but i i've always loved working in uh you know high frequency highly diverse uh manufacturing environments It it just keeps you on your toes
2: yeah I I think shamefully my first experience with geometry was when I was first starting out uh getting like jobs from other people and I didn't really know how to quote so I like I would upload the part get your quote and I, that would kind of set like a standard for me of how I should quote and stuff but I only did that once I shamefully admit that on the podcast That's, right now but <laughs>
1: it's, it's a free site I don't, we're not, we're not going to stop you and like our ho- our hope is that it's accurate right like the hope is that the it's accurate so
2: Yeah, in my mind, it's like, hey, if they're not going to go to me, and they go here, and this site is offered, then at least if I'm within this range, it's probably pretty close to what they're seeing outside in the world. So I've always appreciated that. But um, but yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: I guess, Greg, one last question, just to round it out. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of like this question, just because it lets you step away from the technical side. You've got all these diverse experiences, backgrounds, um, you've seen so much but what do you do outside the shop what do you do to relax
1: uh, so ideally it has to do with being with being in water somewhere like natural water like a river or or an ocean it's it's my goal but it seems fewer and far between right now um uh, but i have a so i have a 4 year old daughter and uh and you know she's my joy and of course my, my wife heather like we've we try to go out and and Breathe fresh air every chance that we get, especially like on the weekends. And um, you know, having if if you ask me four years ago, what my well, you know, what my hobbies were, they'd be different things. But now, like my daughter, she's uh, she's kind of our world. And uh, you know, we it's seeing her grow and learn and get excited about stuff. And uh, it's it's funny because around me, you know, you can see like you can see on video as we're talking, but around me is my parts and like these are daddy's work toys. <laughs> like, you know, she has, she has her toys and then the, the, these are daddy's work toys, which are a bunch of usually like sample parts and, and work pieces and things that I have that I use for, you know, uh, teaching and education. Um, the other thing is, you know, I, I do like to be involved with, uh, with our community. So it's still peripherally related to, to manufacturing, um, but it is really exciting when you can, you know, work with local group or like, you know, the kids museum or something and, and kind of work to help empower and inspire kids uh and people to learn and be excited about making stuff i think manufacturing sometimes has a stigma of like it seems like it's dark dingy and dirty and and modern manufacturing is nothing of the sorts you know it's uh it's very rewarding and it's one of the uh it's one of the few things left in the world right now where someone asks what did you do today you could actually hold it like i did this you know and and um, and kind of sharing that is, is, you know, part of my passion as well.
2: That's so cool. Do you have, uh, do you have an idea of how you're going to introduce manufacturing to your kid? Like, are you going to expose them to a 3d printer and be like, Hey, you want to print your toy? Like,
1: how, how would you oh, start that? Cause I'm curious. So actually she may be my main excuse to get a 3d printer. I have been completely spoiled. Like, so you all have, you all have the equipment in house and you know, in my, like I should, like there's no there's no excuse why I shouldn't, um, but I usually if I have something made I'm I'm kind of spoiled because I have an entire additive lab or you know machine shop I have access to uh, technology so I'm you know I use our use our services myself uh, when I'm producing things and uh, I I think 3D printing is a really exciting step to kind of see like this this rewarding behavior from design to a thing made um, I also. I, I I love design. I think um, the interaction and using um, using a three D space as a creative space, regardless of what it's going to be. I don't even know what her her future is going to be for three D space. It could be virtual reality. It could be you know what it uh, like. It could be Minecraft. Uh, but just being able to you know kind of in, encourage and empower that, I think is it's exciting. Because then yeah, like I'll I'll start to nudge her in that direction, and being like, and you could do this now, and we could make these things. Yeah.
2: yeah, no, I, I have uh, nieces and I'm and I'm always trying to like, they're like, oh, can we get this toy? I'm like, no, 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 no. Why don't we just take a picture and we'll design it and we'll 3D print it at home. <laughs> and at, at first they had no idea what I was talking about. They just thought I was just trying to like juke them out from buying the toy. And then when we got home, I, I designed and printed the toy and their minds just exploded. And, uh, and now they're always coming by and now I got them hooked where, hey, do you have anything like this? Can we print this? And like watching them, they'll just sit at the printer and watch it like, print over hours, right? It's, like, amazing. Like, they'll just be glued to the print bed watching it kind of layer up and stuff. So I'm always I trying to it. discover ways of, like, getting, you know, the younger people kind of into it because I wish someone would have done that for me because I didn't discover this until much later in my life. So uh, this, I'm always, yeah. like, asking people who have kids, like, how do they uh, plan to do that kind of uh, bring them in and stuff. So so thank you for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I'll, I'll note, um, we got a sewing machine today. And I, I like... My wife is setting it up because it's it's one of these things like we like our kids getting older and some of our stuffs getting you know we're trying to figure out well if she can't use it now could we do something with it and she's like let me you know I used to use a sewing machine and we're setting it up and it's funny because I, I love machines and I love using them and while we were while we were at the store to get this I saw they have sewing machines with touchscreens on them. Yep, that are running off of like vectored graphics and yep. essentially plotting, plotting yarn. And it's like, oh my gosh, like if I knew that this is sewing too, I would be making everything, and so like now I'm like I'm kind of excited about sewing. I have I've you know this is day one where I've done like you know I, we basically got to work and make a stitch, and we're like all right we're done for today, but I was like oh my gosh I could be like I could be sewing stuff with these machines too, and it's it sounds so weird, but it's like if you could drive CAD to drive a sewing machine, I'm like maybe that's a. You know, maybe fashion's in my future.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my wife and I, we got a sewing machine with that. Uh, I purposely got one that had the USB so we could upload vector graphics. And we were making little, this is when COVID started, but we were making little masks for the kids and they wanted designs on them. So I just downloaded like a teddy bear or something like that and put it in and it was able to do the teddy bear also multicolored so I could do brown for the skin wild. It was crazy. And I was like, this is basically a little, little CNC machine. That's like, yeah, you know, like you said, an X and Y plotting points. I was totally shocked. Cause I thought I've never thought of a sewing machine that way. So, Seeing it like that, I got excited. Right, I was like, I can embroider it's- my shirts. I can put my logo on stuff. I can like do all these cool designs and stuff. So yeah, it's definitely pretty fun. Yeah,
1: it, textiles is making like the November, like it is, it is it is making. It. It's just yeah. Anyways, that was a that was a complete aside. <laughs> but I was wow today. I didn't even know yeah. that part of the world existed. And my eyes were yeah. open. <laughs> yeah. so I think
0: awesome. uh, Adam Savage said um, sewing is just welding, but with a flexible substrate. I love it. <laughs> Well, Chris, unless you have any more questions, uh, Greg, I just want to say thank you for uh, for dropping in. This was a super interesting conversation.
1: Uh, thanks so much for having me. I I, I love geeking out with uh, with uh, geeks alike. I guess is the best way to say it. Uh, but really appreciate uh, the invite and all that you do. So thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Greg. I'm super excited to see what you guys do, and I I can't imagine I can't. I'm so amazed at how much you guys have grown and the things you guys are doing. So it's definitely super exciting for to watch from the sidelines. So I'm looking forward to what's next for you
0: guys.